Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. All right. Welcome, everybody, to this week's first episode. Uh, this episode's dropping on February uh, 19th. And then we will be dropping a second episode this week, which is part two of this episode, on Tuesday the 22nd. And then we'll drop another episode on Sunday, February 26th as well. So um, we're going to be doing a little tribute to the Negro League baseball players um, and leagues. Uh, MLB The Show 23 uh, set to drop next month and they have legends in the game for the Negro leagues this year uh <clears throat> being satchel page jackie robinson buck o'neill rube foster hilton smith hank thompson and john donaldson and martin digo um all eight of those players have been confirmed to be in the game and i assume that that's probably gonna be more so with the presentation of that um, being going on, plus I feel like the Negro Leagues don't get the uh, don't get to talk about as often as they should. So I figure I might as well just bring some some things to life as well. So this week we're gonna or this episode we're gonna talk about four of those eight legends. Um, we're gonna talk about Satchel Page. Jackie Robinson, Martin Digo, and John Donaldson. Um, basically, give you a little brief overview. You know how we do talk about players and break down their careers, give you a little insight to the background, to the history that some um, won't, might not know about. And then next week we'll do the other, or not next week, but the next episode, we'll do the other four, which will be Buck O'Neill, Rube Foster, Hilton Smith and Hank Thompson. And then the third episode that we'll be dropping, we're going to, I'm going to talk about an overview of the Negro Leagues because uh, there just wasn't one. There was actually seven um, major leagues that, that Major League Baseball recognizes for stats. Um, and then there was other smaller leagues that they consider minor leagues. Um, and then we're going to discuss about how they actually made money um, during this time. A lot of these players were barnstorming, um, and by that means that they were going around the country uh, playing baseball, earning money. They were playing against what's funny is like the or what's ironic. I should say funny, but what's ironic is even though they weren't allowed to play in the major leagues, they were still playing against white players that played in the major leagues. Um, on these barnstorming trips and they would play against the all-stars such as Babe Ruth's all-stars or um, Dizzy Dean's all-stars or Bob Feller's all-stars 
So they would play against these all-star teams as well. Um, I don't really. So let's go ahead and get into it. I don't have a did you know or uh, on this date um, for this episode. Or so I feel like all of these three episodes is a is a giant um, did you know for some. And for me, it even enlightened my eyes doing the research on it. Um, as always, the stats are provided by BaseballReference.com. Not a sponsor, but should be. And also uh, also provided by Wikipedia as well as their Baseball Wiki page, which you can also find through BaseballReference.com as well. So let's get right into it, shall we? Uh, the first player we're going to talk about today is... Leroy Satchel Page. Uh, he was born July 7th, 1906 in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, he would make his debut in the Negro National League in 1927 with the Birmingham Black Barons. He would go 7-2 and two through um, 9 games. Uh, started 10, appeared in 20, uh, or through 98 innings, I should say. Uh, he started 10 games and appeared in 20. He did have four saves with Birmingham as well. Uh, he did go 36 and 17 uh, during his time with them. He had a 2.9 in the four seasons he was with. He had a 2.93 ERA, appeared in a total of 86 games. Uh, 51 of those games he started through 36 complete games. Uh, he had six shutouts. Uh, and he threw. Uh, he had eight saves, and this is all overthrowing 491 innings. Uh, he also had uh, a 4.72, or no, sorry, his strikeout to walk ratio was a 4.54, and his K per nine was 8.7. He would then go on to play in 1931 with the um, Cleveland Cubs. And he would go 1-1 one and one with a 2.3 ERA, appearing in five games. Uh, he had 36 games started. He completed two of them, and he threw 25.1 innings. So, and then he would go on to play for the Pittsburgh Crawfords as well. And he would be uh, from 31 to 41. 1931 to 1941, he played... Um, Three recorded seasons with the Pittsburgh Crawfords. Uh, during that time, he went 25-10. and 10. He started 36 games, completed 30 games. He had seven shutouts, two saves, threw 296 innings. He had 301 strikeouts. His strikeouts per nine was 9.2. And then he had a strikeout-to-walk ratio was a 4.07. Now, uh, a strikeout-to-walk ratio is basically how many strikeouts they have per walk. So... And then strikeouts per nine is basically um, if they pitch nine innings, how many strikeouts would they average during those nine innings? Then 40, 1941 to 47, Satchel would play for the Casey Kansas City Monarchs and the New York Black Yankees, the Memphis Red Sox. And during this time, Satchel was 34 to 40 years old. He would go 31 and 22 with a 2.18 ERA. He appeared in 86 games, started. And then, um, and then he went, uh, he would go 79 and 21, 79 and 20 during this time. 
and he would have four shutouts and one save. He did throw 441 pitches as a 34 to 40 year old. Uh, he had 401 Ks, and his strikeout per nine was 8.2, and his strikeout per walk was 4.41. So his strikeouts, as he got a little bit older, went down his strikeouts per nine, but his walk strikeout to wash ratio definitely got better as it went up. And then uh, in 1948, Satchel finally made his, was able to play in the major leagues, playing in 48 and 49 seasons with the Cleveland Guardians or Indians at the time. And he appeared in 21 games. He had an ERA of 2.48. He would go 6-1. and one. He had 13 um, with three complete games, two, stru- two shutouts, and one save. He pitched 72.2 innings. Uh, he had a 5.3K per nine. His strikeouts per walk were 1.95 during that 48 season. Uh, that 48 season was also the year they won the World Series, and he was on the pitching staff of Bob Feller. 1949, he would go 4-7 and seven with a 3.04 ERA. Appeared in uh, 31 games, starting five. He had 83 innings pitch he had 54 k's he had a 5.95 k case per nine and he had a 1.64 strikeouts to walk so basically at this point he was being used as a reliever and not as a starter and he did make relief appearances in 48 in fact he did make a relief appearance in the 1948 uh world series which made him the first black player ever to play in a world series well, from and then from 51 to 53, he'd play for the St. Louis Browns, where he would earn two All-Star Games appearances at age 45 and 46. Of the three seasons with the Browns, he would go 18 and 23. He had a 3.57 ERA. He had 126 appearances. Um, he had 13 games started. He had three complete games, two shutouts. He had 27 saves. He had 317.1 innings pitched during this time. And mind you, he is uh, mid-40s at this time. Uh, he had a 5.4 Ks per nine, and his strikeout-to-walk ratio was a 1.52. Satchel would go on to make his last appearance in 1965 at the age of 58 with the Kansas City Athletics, and he gave up one hit and... Um, he gave up one hit and struck out one, and it was the last game. Uh, that he officially started. So obviously you can't get all of Satchel's career into a podcast, um, as well as with many of these other great legends here. Can't get them onto a podcast. So, you know, it's because um, it would just, I mean, I, I don't want to take anything away from them, but at the same time, I want to give them their, um, I don't want to give, take anything away, but I also do want to give, knowledge about all the athletes all the players though and contributors for the Negro leagues um through the next three podcasts and then we'll probably end up having to expand more just to continue to um further develop the repertoire of just how impactful the Negro leagues were um when they couldn't win the black when um black athletes couldn't play um with the whites in the major leagues uh, so um, his list of accomplishments included, um, but not limited to, like I said, being the oldest player ever throw in a major league baseball game. 
He was a two-time MLB All-Star World Series champ. He was a Negro League World Series champ as well. And like I said, he was the first F- he was the first black pitcher ever to pitch in the World Series uh, when he pitched in Game Five. Uh, he played all all over from North Dakota to Cuba to Puerto Rico to New York to California. He played with Josh Gibson, Cool Papa Bell, Jackie Robinson, um, Bob Feller, Dizzy Dean. He made a majority of his money barnstorming, um, and so a lot of his career's numbers aren't exactly all there. And it was said, though, Joe DiMaggio, for instance, said Satchel was the best ever, best ever he had ever faced as a pitcher. And Feller said, Bob Feller even said he was the best he ever saw. And Hack Wilson said the ball looked like a marble when it crossed the plate. And Dizzy Dean would go on to say that Page's fastball made his look like a changeup. So Page was elected in 1971 to the the Baseball Hall of Fame by the Negro League Committee. In 2006, a statue of Satchel Page was unveiled at Cooper's Park in Cooperstown, New York. And, but however, there is, uh, no record of Satchel Page ever facing Babe Ruth. So this is legend number one, and it starts off with a mighty big feat. I mean, Satchel Page pretty much did it all. And he, he gets overshadowed just because there wasn't, like I said, there was Satchel Page is known in the baseball world, obviously, but he still gets overlooked. Um, he's probably not one of the most overlooked players on this out of these eight. Um, but there are a lot of players that are overlooked from the Negro leagues. Like I said, uh, because of just, there wasn't the media coverage and a lot of the coverage was lost, um, due to, you know, things of burning down newspapers or just destroying that heritage or in that information that was built during this time. So next up we got Jackie Robinson. And again, I, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to, I can't, I can't say it enough on here. And that's probably the last time that I say it, but you can't get all of their, all of these guys stats and all their contributions that they did into one podcast, um, just by themselves or with the four of them on there. And I, you know, so, so I'm doing my best. I'm going to do the best I can to just give an overview just so there is extra knowledge there. So Jackie Robinson was born January 31st, 1919 in Cairo, Georgia. Robinson would grow up in Pasadena, California. His older brother, um, Mac, won a silver medal in the 1936 Summer Olympics. And then Jackie started on the football team as a QB. He was on the basketball team as a guard. He played. He was on the baseball team as a catcher and shortstop. He was also played track and tennis. Um, in 1936, he won a singles championship in the Pacific Coast Negro t- uh, Negro Tennis Tournament, and he also earned a place on the uh, Pomona Baseball Tournament All Star Team with Ted Williams and Bob Lemon. He went to Pasadena Junior College after high school, where he was an outstanding athlete and uh, in basketball, football, track, and baseball. After a year, he went to um, the after he went to Pasadena Junior College. He went on to go to UCLA, where he became the first athlete 
to varsity letter uh, in four sports there. And then after UCLA, he joined the Army or joined the military um, where he served from 42 to 44. And then he was honorably discharged. Um, he wrote a letter in 1944 for a tryout with the Kansas City Monarchs and did not receive anything in response, which led to him becoming the athletic director at Samuel Hudson in Austin, Texas. Um, he got that job um, because a pastor friend of his and his future wife, who had actually been, was the president of the school, so he offered him the job down there. So Jackie was AD, why he was also the, why he was the AD, um, the Kansas City Monarchs offered, called offering him a contract in 1945 for $400 a month. Uh, he would go on that year and hit 387 with five home runs, 13 stolen bases, and made the 45 all-star team. He would also pursue major league interest during this time. And even though there were no um, black athletes um, that had played in base, that had ever played in the big league since Moses Fleetwood Walker in 1884. Um, and also side note, um, Moses Fleetwood Walker uh, played for the Toledo blue stockings of the American association and Walker would also be the last um, uh, player to play in the International League until Jackie Robinson. I mean, and we can, and, you know, the Moses Fleetwood Walker is one of those guys that we just need to talk about in part three. And so we'll talk about more than, um, more of that, more of him at that time as well. Um, Jackie Robinson did have a tryout that was held by the Boston Red Sox that included other um African-American players, but it was just a farce. Um, at the time they were really trying to push the, they were trying to push integration and the Boston Red Sox for some reason were totally against it. But as if you listen to Bill Russell, he actually had a face, a lot of racial, um, issues in Boston as a player. And he was one of the star players on the Celtics in the sixties. And then the, Red Sox wouldn't even get their first African-American player on the team until 1957. They were actually the last team to to um, have a team. It was either 57 or 59. Um, so, but this also, but this gave, you know, but the Brooklyn Dodgers at the time had more interest, interest with, with the idea. And I put that in quotes because to me, to me, it's not an idea of whether or not we should have African-American players on the team. It's why don't we? Um, and I know, and, and I understand back then it was Jim Crow laws and things, but it still doesn't make any sense to me that we're, that we're keeping half of the uh, half or a good chunk of the population from playing a sport that is and then we were lifting up these white players that didn't, you know, that only played against themselves and probably wasn't even playing against the best competition at the time. So the, so the Dodgers have this idea, obviously, um, to have a team. So they compiled a list, Branch Ritchie, Ricky, uh, started, a started a list. Um, and it started to interview interview players in 1945. So Branch Ricky interviewed Jackie Robinson, for three hours and at the end of it he agreed to pay him six hundred dollars a month this was so um 
And then there was no compensation uh, since Jackie was playing with the Monarchs at the time. Uh, Branch Rickey didn't even give the Monarchs compensation for Jackie Robinson joining the Dodgers at that time either because he felt that since there was a um, since there wasn't a clause in their contract, they were all free agents. And again, if you felt they were free agents, then why weren't we signing them before this? So this all took place, and then there was um, some time of just keeping it quiet. And then it was announced on October 23rd, 1945, Jackson Robinson would play the 46th season with the Montreal Royals of the International League. So after this was announced, Jackson was barnstorming with the Kansas City Royals of the California League. And he also toured South America in another barnstorming tour as well. And Jackie's signing didn't come without some... uh, without some controversy as he was not as some of the uh, um, African-American players in the Negro leagues felt he wasn't even considered. It wasn't even the best player at the time. Um, Larry Doby who played with the, with Cleveland Indians at the, um, who would go on to play with the Cleveland Indians um, and integrate the American league that same year as Jackie did. said the best player at the time was Jack was Josh Gibson. So, and that, so Jackie, a little back was having backlash in the African American community because, or the baseball community of this. And then also the Dodgers are obviously getting backlash because, oh my gosh, we have an African American, African American player on a baseball team full of whites. That shouldn't be a thing, I guess. I don't know. But Jackie would play spring training with the Montreal Royals in 1946. And since this was the 40s and the Royal Spring Training was in segregated Florida, he was not allowed to stay in the hotel with white players. Um, Jackie ended up staying with Joe and Dufferin. Joe and, uh, probably murdering her name, Dufferin Harris, um, who then became a member friends of Jackie Robinson and his wife as well and got them involved in the civil um doing civil rights uh, activism. Then you have Clay Hopper, who was the manager of the Royals at the time, and he felt it was beneath him or some BS to have to coach Jackie Robinson and ask Branch Rickey to be reassigned, but Branch Rickey told him no. So it was also the spring training. uh, It was also the spring training that Jackie was moved from shortstop to second base. He had been a shortstop a majority of his career in the Negro Leagues, the, um, even though he just played one season. And also growing up, you know, as a kid, he played, you know, he played high school shortstop and also in college he played shortstop at UCLA and Pasadena Junior College. So then he was moved to short, moved to second to make a shorter, to have that shorter throw. So the hate and name calling Jackie endured in 46 and 47 was unbelievable. Um, and in fact, like I said, Jackie Robinson deserves his own podcast, but you know, we have Jackie Robinson day coming up on April 15th. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely do a podcast episode for him on that day. Jackie would go on to play his entire major league career in Brooklyn from 47 to 56, where he'd play second base and first. He had a career average of 313, an on-base percentage of 410, slugging percentage of 477, he had 200 stolen bases. He had 761 RBIs. 
He had 141 dingers. He had 1,563 career hits, 286 of those being doubles and 55 being triples. He had a war, career war of 63.8, and his defensive war is 10.6. He played in six World Series with Brooklyn, finally winning one in 55. And he appeared in six All-Star games. He won Rookie of the Year in 47 and the 49 MVP. So that's a little bit about Jackie Robinson. And again, uh, a good movie to watch about Jackie Robinson is uh, is his is his movie with Chadwick Boseman. Uh, that's that's a really that's a really good movie. Uh, Forty two. So next up we have Martin Diego. Uh, he was born May twenty fifth in nineteen oh five in Cuba. Uh, Martin dropped out of school in the sixth grade to go to work, and he started to play baseball. At age sixteen, he joined. He began professional baseball playing uh, winter ball in Cuba for the um, for Havana in the Cuban League. Um, Cuban baseball f- facing financial issues and already having plenty of established players. Uh, Martin was not part of their plan going forward at the time, so Havana uh, Havana did not resign uh, Martin. Instead, he went to the U.S. in 1923 with part-time New Yorker and Cuban baseball promoter Alejandro um, Pompez to play for the Cuban Stars at the time East. The Cuban Stars East at the time in the newly formed Eastern Color League. Again, this is one of the uh, um, major leagues or major leagues for Negro Leagues that I, that the major that and Major League Baseball consider classifies as a major league. Um in June, Diego started at second base, and then he would appear in 33 games. He would bat 208. He had an on-base percentage of 246 and a slugging percentage of 283 that first year. He would go on to play for the Stars from 23 to 27, appearing in 21 game, 221 games during this time. He had a 298 batting average, a 362 on-base percentage, and a 489 slugging percentage. He had 32 dingers, 156 RBIs. 24 stolen bases. He had 246 hits, 36 doubles, and 13 triples. And he would lead the ECL in homers two seasons and batting average in one year and for one season. In 1928, he joined the Homestead Grays. But since they weren't affiliated with a with a league that year, no stats are provided. Obviously, the Homestead Grays ended up being with the. Um, the second incarnation of the Negro Leagues baseball that took place from the mid-30s till the 1960s. But in 1928, they weren't part of the Negro Leagues at all and were, had no affiliation whatsoever. So, again, no stats are provided because we can't find research for it or anything like that. So in 1929, he played for the Hilldale Club of the American Negro League. He would play shortstop, and he would hit 18 dingers that year with 79 RBIs, 14 doubles, 4 triples. He batted 332. He had an on-base percentage of 448, and he had a 613 slugging percentage. He led. Um, he would lead the league in walks with 56 that year. And 30 from 1930 to 1934, he would play go play for the Cuban Stars. Um. So, and again, not affiliated with an approved Major League Baseball League. Um, 
for one year and then play in Venezuela, Dominican Republic, and Puerto Rico before playing again in the U.S. in 1935 for the Cuban Stars. He would be player manager hitting 326 that year with the Cuban Stars. He would have a 409 on base percentage and a 565 slugging percentage. He had seven dingers, 34 RBIs, 47 hits, and then um, so he would have 12 doubles and a triple that year as well. And then 36, he played with the Cuban Stars again as a player manager. Um, and he would go, he would bat 299, uh, have an on base percentage of 407, slugging percentage of 591. Nine home runs, 33 RBIs, 38 hits, eight doubles, a triple. Uh, and But like all stats, there are um, there are errors throughout. Um, definitely his career. And these are our, like I said, all of these are off baseballreference.com. Uh, 1937, he played in the Dominican Republic and also Mexico. And then 38, 40, 38 to 43, he played in Mexico, in Mexico and Cuba, and then 1943 to 1950, he played in Cuba, Mexico, and uh, 45, he played with the New York Cubas at the age of 40, um, he, where he would bat 306, 393, 449. He had two dingers and seven RBIs in 17 games. Martin not only hit, but he also was a pitcher as well, so he was basically a two-way player. Uh, not basically, he was a two-way player. Um, he would play shortstop, first base, outfield in his career. And like I said, he was a pitcher as well. And as a pitcher, uh, in his nine recorded seasons, um, he would go 27-19. and 19. He had a 3.34 ERA, started 42 games, and pitched in 60 games. Uh, he had 34 complete games overall with one shutout and two saves. He had a 5.5 strikeouts per nine, and he had a 2.07 strikeouts per walk ratio. He had a 10.2 war as a pitcher and a 12.6 war as a hitter. Um, His uh, stats are limited for MLB records, and not all are accounted for per um, per the times with players not in Major League Baseball's designated leagues. Um, but if you take all the stats Martin had from playing everywhere from Cuba to the U.S. to the DR to Mexico that we can find, he compiled a 302 batting average. He had 130 career dingers. He had um, 11 seasons of um, of double digits uh, home run totals. And then as a pitcher, he would go 252 and 132. So, um, yeah, 130 dingers on 11 seasons of home run totals. Uh, as a pitcher, he was 252 and 132. And then Martin is inducted into Cooperstown. He's also inducted into the Cuban Baseball Hall of Fame, the Mexican Baseball Hall of Fame the Dominican Republic Baseball Hall of Fame, and the Venezuelan Hall of Fame as well. Um, Hall of Famer Johnny Mize said he is the only guy he ever saw that could play all nine positions, manage, run, and switch hit. He was a a two-time Negro League All-Star and a four-time Cuban League MVP, and he was also an ECL 
batting champ as well. So, again, um, he's getting, again, all these guys get praise from white players because they could see it. Um, but I think so, but they just apparently didn't act, you know, they really didn't have the activism to get them to play in the same league as them, obviously. And Johnny Myers is a Hall of Famer, and he saw how well Martine played. So, and then the last on today's episode, but certainly not least, is going to be John Donaldson. John Donaldson has five years of recorded stats of baseball, all from the Kansas City Monarchs from 1920 to 1924. And during this time, this five-year span, he played in 211 games, uh, pitching in 22 games. He would bat 296. 341 and 382. He had six career dingers, 118 RBIs with only six dingers. Jeez. He sold 29. He had 29 stolen bases. He had 242 career hits. He had 32 doubles and he had 10 triples. His 22 games pitching was six and nine with a 4.14 ERA. He started 13 of those games and had nine complete games, which accounted for one shutout. He also had two saves. He had 69 Ks. In the um in in that span, he had a four point five strikeout per nine strikeouts per nine, and a one point nine two Ks to walk ratio. But the five years don't the five years don't tell the whole story of of him as a player. Um, for over he would go on to play for over thirty years. So researchers discovered seventeen seven hundred eighteen games. In, in which Donaldson pitched in. And they figure he had 424 wins, 169 losses, 15 ties. They figured that he notched 5,221 strikeouts. He had a 1.37 ERA. He had 86 shutouts, 296 complete games for his career over those 30 years. He could be credited with 14 no-hitters, two perfect games and dozens of one hitters. They found he had a, they found he had two 30 K games, 11 games of 25 plus 30 games of with 20 plus strikeouts, 109 with 15 plus strikeouts. He had 203 games of 10 plus strikeouts. Meanwhile, he also batted 334. But again, the reason for these stats, I can't say it enough was um because he was a barnstormer for two decades <laughs> and he was a barnstormer be- two decades before Satchel Page was even a barnstormer like Satchel Page st- stated he got his acumen and style from John Donaldson so and John Donaldson started in 1908 his with his career and it didn't like I say it didn't end until 1941 um seriously like, like he was playing seriously, he was playing serious ball up until 1941. And then he still played in 1949 in less serious games. So where did Donaldson do all his barnstormings, you may ask? Well, he started in Missouri um, with the Missouri Black Tigers. And then he would go on to play with the Hanukkah Blues. He then pitched for the Tennessee Cats. The uh, then... He and they cross. They would crisscross the upper Midwest. In 1912, he started playing for the for All Nation, which was a barnstorming team out of Des Moines. 
and he would make $150 a month and played with a, they had a female player named Carrie Nation and they had several players of different of other races on the team as well. And all nations played in mid in the Midwest and upper Midwest. And while being a member of the all nations team, he also pitched in KC, Palm beach, Florida, LA, Indianapolis, Brooklyn, Detroit, and Chicago. He would play all year long. Hence the reason why he has so many strikeouts and so many games pitched that they could just find. So, and then at one point, Donald, so then when, uh, so 1920 to 1923, he played for the Monarchs and the all nation team at the same time. And when, um, so then Donaldson would manage the all nation team and he would bring players up to the Kansas city Monarchs with him to play. Um, Donaldson is also credited with suggesting the name Monarchs for the KC nickname when they, when they created the team. Um, and when Casey wasn't playing, Donaldson was on a out barnstorming in cities where the KKK was very present in rural Midwest, Iowa, Midwest, Minnesota, and also North and South Dakota. Donaldson played against major league players while barnstorming during his, during this time. And he was the main player most wanted to see. Like, so he wasn't just like out there, like being celebrated by the, you know, by going out there and putting on a show like a, you know, like he would, a circus guy. No, actually people would come, fans, white fans would come out and want to see the amazing John Donaldson. So Donaldson became the first full-time African, uh, American talent scout with the big leagues when he was with the White Sox as well. Hold on. Uh, yeah, so he was a so then he would like I said he would become a talent scout for the White Sox. Uh, he pursued Willie Mays and Ernie Banks for the team. He is credited with signing Bob Boyd and Sam Hairston for the White Sox. Unfortunately, John Donaldson is not in the Hall of Fame, failing to make the seventy five percent in two thousand six by the pre Negro League candidates, um, and then he failed to get the twelve votes needed in 2021 for the early days committee and it's a real shame as researchers continue to put together a career that lasted over 30 years i hope they can work with the hall of fame to get Donaldson john donaldson into it he belongs it's called the baseball hall of fame which to me encompasses all of baseball and not just major league baseball unfortunately african-american african-american players are at a disadvantage to get in due to poor record keeping um, unsanctioned leagues and teams along with having to barnstorm and play for and against semi pro teams to make a living. This was a lot. And this is just four players. We still have four more to go. And we have to discuss on how we have to talk about how many different leagues there were. So I don't know if I'm able to just squeeze this into three episodes. It might turn into four. And that's okay with me because I have fun researching this. And I hope you guys have fun in listening to it. So, um, 
you know, and you know, and I really hope that after you listen to this and after you listen to the, you know, next two or three episodes that you really just take the time and go and go venture out and do your own research as well. And just start looking at the players that played, um, in 2003, I had a chance to go through the Negro league baseball, um, hall of fame museum or baseball museum down in Kansas city. And it was, and it's probably one of the most amazing museums I've been in. Um, and I'm probably going to hit it up again this summer as well. So thank you as always for listening. Um, I will catch you on the next episode of one guy with a mic dingers and dunks where, you know, we're going to bring four more legends to life. All right. Buck O'Neill, Hilton Smith, Hank Thompson, and Rube Foster. So please make sure to hit that follow button. Make sure to ring the bell so that way you're notified when the next one drops. And also make sure to download the episode for me too as well because that's how we get credit for the listeners on the show. So I appreciate every single one of you and I will definitely see you guys next time. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. The Pigskin Tales podcast is all about the lesser-known pro football players. Yes, there are stories about the ones we know, like Brad Tarkenton and Harold Red Green. But, have you ever heard of Ernie Nevers? How about Dave Osborne or even Grady Alderman? These men created their own path to the NFL. How did they do it? Listen to the Pigskin Tales podcast. Now streaming on your favorite music platform. Go to pigskintales.com. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcasts. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcasts. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.